Welcome back, creeps. Hello, everyone. So nice and big this week. Hola. Ooh. Nice and big. Such size. <laughs> <laughs> what happened this week, Dulce? What happened this week? Um, I was terrorized and bullied by our cat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I was targeted. He was attacking my feet all night, as you know. Yeah, Even, only yours, not mine. Yeah, and he knew they were on my feet. Like, he knows, like, at first he's like, oh, yeah, they're under a blanket. What could it be? Maybe it's a blanket monster that I need to attack. But as soon as you take the blanket off your toes or your feet entirely, he's like, oh, okay, everything's cool. It's just a foot. Yeah, Porkchop does the same thing sometimes. But when I did that, he gave no fucks. He said, oh, it's on. And it was. <laughs> so fucking annoying. Yeah, he's actually been a fucking asshole. Yeah. The last few days. My sister thinks that it has something to do with hormones. So he may be going through puberty. puberty. Well, he has no balls, so. I mean, they. it doesn't mean that you don't have hormones anymore, though, right? I have no idea. We also went to Galveston. Oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we went to the historical side or the downtown Galveston, which I had no idea had like the old buildings still. Normally, when we go, we just head straight to the seawall. And when we went to downtown, it didn't even look like Galveston anymore. Yeah, it was like a real old Texan, like what you'd expect. Yeah. Like Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, it was really sick. And they have something called the macaroni and cheese no <laughs> the peanut butter warehouse <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it's like some sort of flea market but yeah yeah so I was that gonna, was our week i was gonna say swap meat i don't know what that is though is that like a flea market i have no idea swap meat sounds like some sort of sexual deviant move yeah it does but i think it's more like a picture like a garage sale but people just meet up in like a car park or something instead. Oh, it's a swap meet. Like M-E-E-T. Yeah. <laughs> like you meet up and swap. You don't go and swap assorted meat. <laughs> well, there's the egg on my face. <laughs> All right. I've turned off the light because this is going to be a juicy one. Oh, yeah? Well, I think so. Anyway, I fucking hope everybody else thinks so. Cool. All right. So, uh, do you go first or do I go first this week? Uh, me, I think. All right. Go for it. All right. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. We're just going to... I'm also not going to tell you the sources until afterwards because the sources will give it away as well. Okay. But we're going to Brookfield, Connecticut. Sick. Situated within the southern foothills of the Berkshire Mountains. Population was 16,487 in the 2010 census. In July 2013, Money Magazine ranked Brookfield the 26th best place to live in the United States. And the best place to live in Connecticut. The first recorded murder in Brookfield didn't happen until February 16th, 1981. What? Yeah. Now, so that means that this town survived almost 200 years 
without a single murder. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't believe it, but that's... Good for them. Yeah, let's hope that this is true. I think they just didn't report the murders. But mm. as the since it's been named Brookfield. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, I can't remember this guy's name. Hang on. Oh, yeah. Arnie Johnson. It's like the most American name I think I've ever heard in my life. Arnie Johnson. All right. And Debbie Glatzel. Yeah, so we're just going to call them Arnie and Debbie from now on. They're moving into a new house, which they've sunk all their savings into. Now, it's just a rental property, but still they had to, like, you know, pay two months up front, and that was all their savings. Arnie's only 19. I'm not sure how old Debbie is. I think he's actually only 18 at this stage. Anyway, one of the things from when they first went to see the house, their dog wouldn't go inside. Red flag number one. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, it's move-in day. And they take Debbie's little brother with them to go help out. Now, it turns out there was actually a few. I think like she had met multiple brothers in that. But um, he's the only one, basically, that we're going to talk about throughout this whole thing. What's, his little, what's her little brother's name? David. David, okay. Yeah. So anyway, he was 11. And according to Debbie... Just a real good kid. Like, you know, he was he was just there to help out, like, and, and whatever. So anyway, Debbie says, go on into the bedroom and start sweeping it out so we can start bringing our boxes in. And he goes in there and he finds a bed and he's like, uh, like, who owns this fucking bed? The house is supposed to be empty. So they figure it's the landlord had left it behind or whatever. And, you know, they'll deal with it. He keeps, like, cleaning up around it or whatever. And then all of a sudden... Someone pushes him onto the bed. And he looks around thinking it's going to be one of his other brothers or Debbie or Arnie or whoever. He sees an old man. Yeah, just out of nowhere. Then he can see through the old man and he shits his pants. Basically, he runs out and he's like, "Ah, we have to get out of here. There's an old man. He pushed me, blah, blah, blah. Arnie and Debbie just assume that he's trying to get out of doing chores. Hmm. And they're like, oh fine like go hang around outside you scallywag like what like if someone comes out of my fucking brand new bedroom saying i saw a fucking old man in there and he pushed me yeah especially if you if you go from saying like oh he's a good kid yeah now all of a sudden he's just trying to get out right not doing anything yeah they all go back oh yeah he doesn't enter the house again he's like no i'll just sit outside thank you very much all day that night they all go back to debbie's mom's house arnie and debbie are engaged and they're staying at debbie's mom's house until they get all their shit moved into the new rental property or whatever and they forget all about like whatever happened with david and david goes to bed and he wakes up complaining that he can still see the old man he's talking to him every time he closes his eyes he's in the bedroom of the rental house it's not a dream because it's he's awake, but it's like this almost it's like this almost like weird vision that he's having and he says he can see an animal, like some strange animal clawing at the front door of the house, and he's afraid of the old man, but he's still clawing at the door to get in. That to me was like why Wait, so this animal is clawing at the rental property. The rental property trying to get into the house that the old man is still in. Yeah. Okay. 
and he said like it's just pure fear and the old man is saying like don't come here i'm gonna hurt you telling to the, the boy the kid. yeah yeah oh i thought and, he meant the animal no, no no and he's like saying i'm gonna hurt your family yeah whatever okay so he begs them not to go back to the house he says the old man's trying to hurt them but they still aren't listening they're like oh, yeah they put all that money in the house yeah and they're like ah oh, you know over active over i'm active over active imagination all that so the next day they go back to the house naturally david stays at uh, his mom's house but when they get there the front door is completely scratched up up covered in animal scratches that were not there the day before that does it for debbie she's like okay now like we're fuck it we're not moving in here but arnie has asked his mom to come move in with them so she shows up while they're there emptying back out the stuff that they just put in the day before and she goes ballistic she's like no i just broke the lease on my apartment to move in here with you i'm staying here so out of spite she stays there on her own she's like no i'm living here that's it and all about it but she was like so angry with them okay because she just feels like she's been abandoned now Right. In the meantime, young David is having super vivid nightmares. He's still seeing the old man, only in his dreams, he has jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hooves. This eventually keeps changing over time to all he sees. He just refers to it as the beast. And as well, this actually only happens over a really short period. So this is like one day after the next. And when did this start? What was the date or a year? This is 1980. Okay. So anyway, Arnie and Debbie spend the next day with David all out together, like just doing regular shit. David's fine, doesn't mention anything scary. But they bring him back to the rental house. And he freaks out again. As soon as he sees where they're going, he's like, no, no, no. He says, the old man is still in the house. He's always there. He doesn't leave. But he's with him now too. Adults being adults, tell him ghosts aren't real. We'll look after you. All that blah, blah, blah. And they don't experience anything in the house. Like the whole time they're there. They start hearing weird noises in the attic. So when they go to inspect it. Like it's it's weird and creepy. But The attic of the house. Of the rental. Yeah, of the rental. But they put it down to like squirrels or rodents or something. Anyway, things continue to get worse with David. He's seeing this beast every night in his dreams. And shit starts escalating quickly. He starts being visibly attacked at night, like in front of the whole family. He's getting punched, scratches, bruises, and like he's getting like winded as he's getting punched. It's not like he can even, you know what I mean? Like it's knocking him to the floor. He's actually getting attacked, yeah. Yeah. Whatever this beast thing is in his dreams now or in these messages that he's conveying, starts telling him that he's going to steal his soul. Like his soul is now belonging to the beast. So at this stage, again, this all happens like within over a week, not even. They go to a Father Dennis, who was a pastor of St. Joseph's Church in Brookville. Is this a Catholic church? Yeah. Okay. Demonology is their specialty. Yes. It's their thing. From here on out, it is extremely similar to the exorcist story that you covered from the actual exorcism. And he gives the, can- he gives the family candles, tells them to go home pray over david and you know hopefully things will settle down but when they do this 
shit just gets even worse. So they go back to the priest the next day. They're like, shit got worse. <laughs> yeah, they have to they have to go through these preliminaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, in the meantime, or sorry, the priest goes to the house and tries to cleanse the house, but he realizes as he's there, no, like this is this seems legit. So it turns out he had actually worked with the Warrens on another case, and he was like super wary about this. Why? Because he had a bad experience with the Warrens? Not with the Warrens. Like, it was a bad experience, but not because of the Warrens. Um, the case that he had dealt with, again, it seemed like the bishop was just like, deal with it. I don't want to hear about it. So he did. But that case was an actual exorcism of a building rather than a person. And he's getting ready to take a trip back to Ireland, the homeland of all priests, uh, with his mom. And he's like, listen, Lorraine. I don't want to have anything to do with this. I'm not like getting involved in this and then taking a long ass trip where everything could go wrong. So he says, will you go and look into it for me? And of course they say, OK, they live in Connecticut as well. I don't know. I didn't actually look up the distance. But anyway, they go there that night. And according to Lorraine, one of my main sources was actually an interview which was taken off the Ed and Lorraine YouTube channel. I didn't know they had a YouTube channel. Yeah, it's literally called the official Ed and Lorraine Warren youtube channel oh yeah i didn't know either i I had looked at it like their uh, son-in-law i think or their nephew whoever it is who was having the little argument with zach bagans a while ago he runs it i think is that the one that owns uh annabelle yeah oh yeah yeah Yeah, he really fucked with oh man zach really fucked (laughs) that one up yep so anyway uh lorraine while lorraine is talking to father dennis he said that the child has a mild learning disability how accurate is that i have no idea that seems pretty random yeah especially like early 80s you know like did people even believe in like adhd or dyslexia back then anyway so lorraine's like that's no problem we actually have a doctor friend dr grasso and his child has a very similar learning disability and is like taking medication for it and all that so we'll bring our doctor friend along you know which to me makes sense so yeah, they get to the house and as Ed and Dr. Grasso are walking up the steps to the house, Ed trips up the stairs and Dr. Grasso is like, ah, you fucking idiot. Like you just tripped. And then as soon as he said that, he tripped. Instant karma. Yeah. But they like, they forget about it. You know what I mean? They're probably just like, oh yeah, whatever. Okay. They go inside and David is sitting at the table, just like drawing, being a regular little kid. But Lorraine said that when they walked in, it was like something just changed in him. And he'd be concentrating, doing whatever. And then all of a sudden he would look up and he was a different person. And the first thing he says to him is, you tripped coming up the stairs, didn't you? Ed was like, "How? yeah, like, how did you know that? He just said that the beast had told him. So anyway, the, the doctor friend rules out, like the kid's not taking meds or anything like that. He says, no, like he's just a regular fucking kid so that's fine an actual quote from lorraine warren was he was constantly being informed like a level of psychic ability but it wasn't the psychic ability coming from any good it was nothing that she had ever experienced before but it was as if he just had like a constant like as if he had a fucking radio and someone was saying this happened in you know like with the door for the the rental property so the warrens interviewed the family that night just to see where they were at because they needed to get all this information to send to the Vatican. And they determined that David was in the early stages of 
uh, possession. And he definitely had a demonic attachment. As soon as they said this, the family were like, well, we'll leave. Like, we can just go to another state. Like, we'll run away. And, you know, Lorraine had to explain, like, no, like, I'm sorry, but, you know, he's attached to David or this thing is anyway. And now I will say in the Ed and Lorraine Warren interview, Ed started spewing off about how the mom was a witch and she had gotten involved with some Satanists on a ski trip and blah, blah, blah. So that's where he thinks, you know, David was made more susceptible to this. I don't believe that for a second. No, because, um, well, I mean, I don't know how true this is, but. Satanists can't ski. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All Satanists have two left feet. They apparently, uh, the more like strictly religious you are, the more the demons like to fuck with you. Yeah, well, I don't know where Ed pulled this information from. That's what I'm saying. Like, if if they were Satanists or whatever. Yeah, but uh, really... bearing in mind, like Satanist was the word of the decade. You know, like anything that went wrong ever, it was like Satanists. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's true because they they could be. You could use the word satanist and spiritualist interchangeably yeah basically and we know about spiritualists or what they deem spiritualists yeah have to pay with ouija boards back in the day exactly and we also know that satanists are good decent human beings you know yeah okay well anyway when asked what the beast was capable of david said he could throw you out of that window right now and they didn't believe him they said if he has that much power like you know, tell him to prove it, have him knock on the table or knock on the walls, the pots, pans, whatever. And he said, he's laughing at you. You can't order him around. You can't tell him what to do. So Ed Warren, being all macho and shit, he's like, you can't do it, can you? And as soon as he says that, the whole room starts to tremble and shake. Plates in the cupboards, doors, everything. And, okay, I have written a note here. Between the Discovery documentary that I watched, which I will not recommend to anyone, it was pathetic. All right. And the Warrens interview. There's a lot of characters cut out. And a lot of what Ed says in the Discovery documentary was actually said by, say, like the priests who were there at the time or possibly like a brother or whatever. I managed to piece together from all the articles, the the kind of bulk of what what did happen. And I was able to see in the documentary oh well this says in this article that it was actually somebody else that did this or this happened rather than it happening this way so i did try and get the most accurate information for everybody anyway shit settled down for a few days after the the warrens visited and they said that they were going to go and try and arrange to have a minor exorcism done because it would only take a few weeks to get approved rather than months from the vatican Oh, yeah, a little side note here. Ed Warren said fetus position instead of fetal position in the interview. I've never heard anybody say that. And it was just like, no. <laughs> anyway, Arnie used to come home from work where he worked all day outdoors. He was a landscaper or a tree surgeon, something along those lines. Like, you know, hard labor. He would come home, have dinner, take a nap and would wake up around 11 p.m., which was usually when... David's symptoms would start to act up much like the other exorcism case the exorcism from the exorcist that inspired the exorcist movie the exorcism of Robbie Doe that's the one or Mannheim depending on who you ask 
I asked you. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, that was just to me another really coincidental time and like figure or whatever. But anyway, he would be awake almost all night, like trying to restrain him, making sure that he was all right. Like he seemed like a really good big brother, soon to be brother-in-law, whatever. Sometimes Arnie and Debbie would sleep in the same room as David on the floor. And apparently one night they just saw this greenish colored hand just come up out of the floor. Like around just in the middle of the room, just this weird green glowing hand. Oh, it was a skeleton's hand. So this thing was like making everybody see weird trippy shit. And like the Warren said, this is just to put the fear of God into you. You know, any fear that you have for this thing just makes it stronger and stronger. Another night, David had just finished putting together this plastic dinosaur model. And it looked something similar to like Rex from Toy Story, except more dinosaur <laughs> But it was a solid model, like no moving parts. Anyway, it just became animated one night and started walking towards the family in the middle of the room. And in a deep voice, it said, beware. You are all going to die. That's this, funny. Yeah. That's very funny. I don't think it was funny for the family though. No, like in my head because you put the thought of Rex in my head. Well, yeah. And how dorky Rex is. <laughs> <laughs> but this very same voice later showed up in an EVP at one of the churches where they performed the exorcisms on David. And this time it just said, why are you here? They had to perform many exorcisms to actually cure david unlike the discovery documentary which just had this one priest saying the rosary one night and then everything was good or like all fucking exorcist movies yeah basically so i didn't get the whole um like the exact number or anything like that but i know that he was moved from to at least the local church the saint joseph's church saint joseph's convent which was also a local building they actually had to take him from the church because they could hear him screaming outside and it was upsetting people but anyway either one of during one of these exorcisms or just one of david's like really bad episodes arnie who was just upset at everything like lack of sleep trying to take care of like you know everything his mom's in this new house blah 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 he shouts something along the lines of attack me you little bitch ass demon that's what he said in my head but no he did he called out the demon he was like like you, why are you taking this out on the kid like be a fucking man whatever shortly after this David goes quiet again everything settles down and they get a couple of nights off Arnie goes out and gets into his truck to go do whatever and when he turns the engine on it just red lines in the driveway as soon as he turns the key over like it's as if someone put their foot down on the accelerator it's still in park but it's just like screaming at him and he's like what the fuck's going on and it frightens him and he's looking around to see like what's happening and when he looks back up there's the beast standing in front of his headlights in his driveway just as david has explained like this big antler wearing fucking freak the beast raises his arm and points to a tree and as soon as he does that the truck slams into gear and takes off flying so i don't know if he actually crashed he said he had no control over the truck whatsoever in that very moment but i think he managed to gain control of it before he actually hit the tree either way it was enough to like you know 
scare the fucking living daylights out of them. So the next day they go back to the the priest, the main exorcist. And the Eric's father Dennis is on holidays with his mommy back in Ireland. So anyway, the priest says, Look, we've sent in all the all the paperwork. We're just waiting for the Vatican to get back to us. In the meantime, here, take this blessed rosary beads with a crucifix on it. Don't ever take it off. Like keep this on you at all times. So they go back home. I'm feeling a little bit better about it. Home to Debbie's mom's house. That's where they're still staying. And as soon as they come in the door, David said, I know who gave you that. I know where you were. He told them the names of the priests who were there and said, it won't do you any good. And with that, the crucifix was ripped off Arnie's neck by some unseen force and just fucked across the other side of the room. At this point, David starts talking about a well behind the rental house. He says, I know you've been back to the house because, I mean, Arnie had gone back to check on his mom, make sure she was okay. And it, it kind of comes through like it is David warning him, but it's the beast giving him this, you know, has told David this information, whatever. But anyway, he just says that that well is how the beast enters our world. So with that, Arnie goes back to the rental house and he goes to check on his mom, make sure she's okay. She's not there. She's just up and left. I couldn't find out what happened there. I'm assuming she was okay. <laughs> but she had gotten, had just had enough of that house. Like, she was gone. So he tells Debbie to check all the other rooms, make sure she's not there. I'm going to go look for this well that David's talking about. And sure enough, there he finds it out the back garden covered in like hedges and shit. He looks up and there's the beast again. Exact same as before, only now he can see details in his face and his eyes are just these big black holes but instead of like being scared or anything he just stands there like he's mesmerized by these eyes they'd suck him in next thing he knows he's back in the house can't remember anything debbie's like what the fuck is going on like in the little documentary thing like she had to slap him to gonna wake him up but yeah he completely blacked out doesn't know what what happened so did the mom ever say that weird shit was going on in the rental no they just mentioned that she was gone and that was it that, uh, that you don't was hear it. from her ever again no. or about her no no i will say they wrote a book based on this that's supposed to be you know the true account i'll tell you more about that later remind me okay there's a reason why i didn't read it yeah so again things quieten down that seems to be the way this goes like it like uh ebbs and flows whatever and david seems to be back to his normal self again which is, you know, everybody's like, oh, thank fuck. Arnie's walking through the house one night and David just approaches him and he's talking to him like normal. Then all of a sudden he snaps and he's lunging at him with a knife. He's trying to kill him, stone dead in the middle of the house. They managed, like, obviously to get the fucking knife off him, calm him down. And, like, Arnie and Deb, Arnie and Debbie are actually in this Discovery documentary telling their side of the story he says like he he at the time he was angry at david naturally because the kid was fucking going for him with a knife but he was able to you know he knew it wasn't him it was whatever this fucking entity was and it, it scared the shit out of them again so are they still waiting for approval to do the exorcist yeah like this all Exorcism. seems to happen like within a couple of weeks all of this stuff right 
and apparently according to ed they they not everybody was just saying like how you know soft-spoken and nice this david kid was like you know loved his mom and all that like really good kid but during these like violent attacks he actually broke his mom's nose at one stage and another time when they were trying to take him back to the convent for another exorcism he somehow slipped through their arms grabbed a knife and tried to kill his mom and grandmom grandmom grandmother so the first exorcism took place in saint joseph's church saint joseph's church but while it was going on ed and another priest went back to the house to bless the house because david said he's still in the house so they go back to the house ed and this other priest and he starts fucking holy water and oils and shit around and there's this rocking chair in the middle of the room and as soon as he hits it with the anointing oils is that anointed oils this rocking chair starts going ballistic so there's reports of it like naturally rocking back and forth but you know like crazy it would levitate and some even said that it would just disappear and reappear like at random like a glitch in the matrix yeah yeah and there's a reason why i tell you about that chair and we'll get back to it both david and lorraine reported seeing the beast in that chair on separate occasions now i don't know whether it was while they were there or during these fucking um like weird visions that they would seem to be having but yeah like i said david showed all signs of like usual possession stuff like super strength and all that jazz he would need as many as five men to hold him down and i saw a picture of his parents his dad is a big fucking dude like big grizzly bear looking guy and he couldn't do anything to this kid like they, they still needed like four or five fully grown men to hold him during the exorcisms he would stop breathing to the point where like the family would start getting scared and the priest just like he knew he had to just keep going it was this demon like trying to scare them yep to stop or whatever mm-hmm. he would black out from holding his breath for so long and then eventually he would come back and he'd be okay these exorcisms happened in a few different places like i said saint joseph's church a local convent and I think in the house that he shared with, like their their homestead, not the rental. Did they ever exercise the rental? I think that's where Ed and the other priest would go back to where the rocking chair was. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I I tried to like figure that out as well. I actually, my next point is, again, here's where the facts start to blur a little bit. And, you know, one person would say this happened here. The other would say this happened at home, whatever. But Lorraine... Warren did say that they ended up having six priests working for uh, working on this case and three of those priests had been trained in the Vatican and sent specifically for this. They eventually figured out that this beast was actually comprised of up to 43 different demons. Eventually they do free him of all of these and he goes on to live an unfortunate life where he is just treated as an outcast. Because, like I said, this was a small community. Him and apparently, according to his brother Carl, they were just looked on as freaks. Now, he was healthy, still alive to this day. But, you know, life was just tough after that. So, on February 16th, 1981. Does that date ring a bell? February 18th, 1981. 16th, 1981. The first recorded murder in Brookfield. Oh, oh no. Arnie. I was going to say, that's when my sister was born. Is it? <laughs> Not February, but 81. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, Arnie Cheyenne J. 
Johnson calls in sick to his job at Right Tree Service. Right Tree Service? Right Tree Service. I don't fucking know. The landscape place that he worked. And him and Debbie go to the kennel where she works along with Arnie's sister Wanda and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin Mary. Okay? Okay. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like name salad. Name salad. <laughs> so we got Arnie and Debbie. Uh-huh. And Arnie's little sister Wanda. Uh-huh. And Debbie's little cousin Mary. Okay. Okay, so there's four of them. <laughs> I'm just making sure my math is right. <laughs> yeah, one plus one plus one plus one <laughs> is four. <laughs> so Alan Bono is the owner of the kennel, right? I think they say Bono. I, I'm calling him Alan Bono. All right. Bono is also the couple's landlord of the rental. So as far as I'm aware, they've been leading this lovely, happy life ever since all these exorcisms and all. Everything's just, you know, super sweet. Anyway, the reason why Arnie called out sick is because Bono has said, come on, I'm going to take you all to lunch today. So they go to like some local bar and they're like having a lot of drinks and Bono's paying for everything. and It all seems sweet. After lunch, the group return. This says to the kennel. Again, this is a weird, like, here, here and there thing. Um, some people say they went back to an apartment. Whatever. Debbie then took the girls to go get pizza after lunch. So I'm assuming they were in the bar for quite some time. Okay, so Wanda, Mary, and Debbie go get pizza. Yeah, they go and get pizza. Okay. But Debbie insists that they be quick because, for some reason, she anticipates trouble. When they come back, Bono is agitated at this point. He's like drunk and belligerent by the sounds of it. Debbie says, come on, like it's it's time to go. I think they're actually in Bono's apartment. I think that's what's going on here. But while Debbie's trying to get them all to go, he grabs Mary and refuses to let her go. I don't know why. Arnie disappears for a few minutes, comes back and starts shouting at Bono to let go of Mary's like... You know, let the kid go. Mary gets away and she runs to the car. Wanda is trying to pull Arnie back, saying, like, come on, like, let's just go, let's just go. But Arnie is just growling like an animal. He's not talking, not doing anything. All of a sudden, he takes out a five-inch pocket knife and stabs Bono repeatedly. Bono died several hours later. He had four or five tremendous wounds, mostly to his chest, and one that actually stretched from his stomach to the base of his heart. Johnson was discovered... Or, fuck's sake. Who the fuck is Johnson? <laughs> Arnie's second name is Johnson. Oh. Arnie was discovered two miles from the site of murder, with no recollection of what happened. Now, before this day, Arnie had no criminal record. Ed and Lorraine Warren could not speak more highly of him. They said he was the most respectful young man, only ever called him ma'am, sir... All that Ed literally said, he's the kind of boy that you would want as your own son. The day after the murder, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield police that that wasn't Arnie Johnson. He was possessed and that they need to know this. They need to bring their their own evidence to trial. Of course, they weren't allowed. Like, this was a fucking murder case. And his lawyer, even though he knew that, like, this could be the end of his career, tried to enter a plea of innocence due to demonic possession, but the judge wouldn't allow it. He said that that's, that doesn't exist. That's not a thing. I'm not accepting that. 
So in the end, he was charged with first-degree manslaughter with a sentence of 10 to 20 years. He got out after like four and a half years. And he's still free to this day. The Discovery Channel documentary that I watched, they didn't even talk about that. They never mentioned once that this man killed somebody, even though it was him being interviewed in this fucking documentary. David and Debbie's brother, Carl, who I mentioned above briefly, he was the one who said that their life was just pure misery after this. He actually said that none of this happened. He said it was all fabrication. David was suffering with mental illness that wasn't addressed. And that Ed and Lorraine Warren are big, fat phonies. Okay, so the book that they wrote, well, the book that Ed and Lorraine Warren co-wrote with um, some UK author, I can't remember his name, was released in 1983 or 1984. And this guy never read it, which I can understand. It was all about his family. Who who didn't read it? Carl? Yeah. Carl never read it. But in 2006, shortly after the death of Ed Warren, they re-released it. Naturally, his name was circulating again. And this time he did read it. And he said it was all bullshit. He didn't believe a single word of it. He completely... Um, they they just... How old was Carl when uh, in 81? He was older than David. I don't know how old he was. Though, like 13 or 14 maybe. I'm not sure. Anyway, he took them to court... He took the publisher to court and said that this is like defamation of character. None of this happened. This isn't my family. You've ruined my career. This, that and all the rest. He said Ed and Lorraine Warren only use their family to make money. In saying that, he released his own book saying all of this in more detail, saying what, you know, quote unquote, actually happened. And again, went on and on about how Ed and Lorraine Warren just trying to make money off his family. So he was suing the Warrens to make that money back. And he didn't believe in any of this. But also, that rocking chair from the house is haunted. And it's a cursed rocking chair, according to Carl himself, who doesn't believe in ghosts. He says that anybody who has sat in this chair ever since this exorcism, so I guess the chair must have been in the Glatzel house, right? The one that was disappearing and reappearing and going fucking batshit crazy. Anybody who sat in there ever since that that the exorcisms took place has, has suffered back pain. back pain of all different like severity levels. One of his friends actually had to get surgery, apparently, after sitting in this chair. He sold the chair for sixty seven thousand dollars in two thousand and nineteen. Okay. This is the man who doesn't want to make money off of his family's name or ghosts or anything like that because it's all baloney. Hours before Lorraine Warren actually passed on herself, like within the same fucking day. Naturally, it was our friend, Zach Bagans, and the chair was on display in the Haunted Museum, but he actually took it off display because so many people were being affected by this chair. What did you mean by hours before Lorraine died? That's when it was purchased? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, like that That was just a an odd coincidence. But So two of my sources this week are actually Newsweek and TMZ. I would never use them for anything other than Zach Bagans actually uses them to promote the Haunted Museum. So that's why I have them here. And a quote from Zach Bagans is, 
This is the first time where I have decided to shut an exhibit down at the Haunted Museum due to multiple people being affected in connection to unexplained paranormal activity of the Devil's Rocking Chair. Six people all shared the same disturbing, uncontrollable crying during the short time I opened the exhibit. One of them being a guest who had also collapsed directly above the Devil's Rocking Chair on the stairs. You know, the way like he has it situated in that kind of cupboard thing. He also is convinced that whatever is attached to that chair followed him home. Now, we all know, like, Zach Baggins sat in the fucking chair during a live event or whatever. We all know, being me, we'll say, Porkchop and Max. He said, Me and a friend felt an evil presence move between us as we were sitting down in my living room, which then caused my dog to growl. I then became very affected, began speaking strange things about God and Satan, with my head down. And then my friend just began to cry uncontrollably and literally ran out of my house. Another random fact. This is the premise for The Conjuring 3. So any facts that I might have gotten wrong or right after seeing that Discovery documentary, I would not take them. I would take everything with a grain of salt. It's a really good story. The Conjuring 3, is that already out? No, it's coming out next year. Oh. The book... The Devil in Connecticut is currently going for between two hundred and fifty and five or six hundred dollars. Is that the one that was published by Lorraine and Ed, or is that the Carl one? Carl. No, Carl's is like some free fucking self-published document that nobody would ever pay for. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but I think because of Carl, it's no longer in circulation. That's why the price of the book is so much. That's why I didn't actually read it. I did read a little bit of it online, and um. Like I tried to skip to see the appropriate parts and it did fall through with a lot of the stuff that I was reading. So fall true to a lot of the stuff that I was reading. So that's the murder of Alan Bonham or the possession of David Glatzel or the possession of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson. It's also the story of the devil's rocking chair. My sources for this week were allthatsinteresting.com Wikipedia, the Discovery Channel documentary series, A Haunting, which I think is absolutely atrocious and I would not recommend to anyone, but it's entertaining. The official Ed and Lorraine Warren channel on YouTube, TMZ and Newsweek. I don't think those sources would have gave away what you were talking about. It was the Ed and Lorraine Warren thing I didn't want to mention. Oh, I didn't. I don't know too much about Ed and Lorraine, just that, um, the Amityville one, and like the like the trash that's been talked about them after they've died, yeah. which is easy. Like even if they were, or they weren't. I feel like it's just easier to do that to no, people who have already died. That's been going on. Well, okay, well, like as long as they've been active, you know what I mean. Well, I guess, I mean, but you could also say that because of the line of work that they've been in. Yeah, that's, no, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I grew up, like, idolizing the Warrens. So now when I read all these things that are saying, like, they're big, fat phonies, I am, like, really disheartened by it. Okay, so my sources for my story is newsbreak.com, wikimexico.com, because there is a wikimexico.com, <laughs> El Geraldo de Mexico. And Angel Fire. The Mexican Herald for anybody who needed that translated because <laughs> I can speak Spanish. All right. So this story is about Maria Teresa Landa, La Viuda Negra, 
or the Black Widow. Oh. So a little bit about the early years uh, about Landa. So her full name is Maria Teresa Landa. She was born on October 15, 1910, to a high-class family, well-to-do. She was born in Tamaulipas, which is in northern Mexico, and raised in Mexico City. She attended a school called La Escuela Normal de Maestros, I think it was called, um, which I thought was hilarious because that literally means the normal school. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the normal school, normie. Yeah. Anyways, she was described as very intelligent and very beautiful. Her political views were very progressive. She believed in democracy and a woman's right to vote. This was vastly different than what her parents wanted her to focus on, which was like strict religious Catholicism, you know, like that kind of deal. Yeah. Anyways, during this time, it was the norm. Um, it was a societal norm that women were supposed to be subservient to their husbands and stay at home, you know, that kind yeah, of deal. Yeah. Anyways, um, after she went to school, she um, went on to become a qualified orthodontist. So she was, you know, very ambitious, very about her school, her studies, you know, yeah, driven, learning her shit. Yeah, like she was sent, like she spent some time in the states or whatever. So on March eighth, nineteen twenty eight, she was eighteen, and at this time or on this day, her mom had died. I read some articles that it was her grandmother, but I really think it was her mom because this was like a sort of turning point for her. And also because afterwards you don't hear about the mom uh, commenting on her relationship with the guy that she met at the funeral, at this funeral. You only hear about the dad. So I think this was her mom. Anyways, her mom had passed um, and at her mom's funeral, she met 34-year-old General Moises Vidal Corro. So I'm just going to call him Vidal. Okay. Things quickly became intimate between the two. They were always out and about in the city, being lovebirds, you know how it is. Aww. Yeah. Uh, Landa's dad was against the relationship because of the 16-year age gap. Another reason why they were so against, or why he was so against the marriage, um, I'm sorry, the, the coupling was because of the general's... Uh, he was low class. All right. He wasn't classy enough for his He wasn't. Yeah. Daughter. Mm -hmm. So on April 28th, 1928, a newspaper called Excelsior announced a beauty pageant in Mexico City. So this was actually the first of its kind in Mexico. There was no such thing as a beauty pageant. Beauty pageant was that the winner would get crowned. And sent to Galveston, Texas to compete for an international beauty contest. How exotic. Mm -hmm. As we know, there are swimsuit sections of beauty pageants. So she did participate in that segment. And she was photographed, you know, in her bathing suit attire. I'm sorry, what year was this again? 1928? Uh, yes. 
So this was only, um, oh, a month after the funeral. She was like, let's go beauty pageant. Okay. She was photographed um, in her bathing suit and she eventually won. So her picture was plastered, you know, on newspapers. On newspapers. And, like and this caused a huge, con- what I call a conservative commotion, calling her, quote, shameless and, quote, ambitious. Ambitious. I know, right? A woman. An with insult. Ambition. Like, that's an insult? Like, oh come God. on now. <laughs> she's a dentist and she's an ambitious whore. <laughs> Even her father stopped talking to her after seeing her bathing suit photos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways, like my mom would say, que pendejadas. Anyways, her man, Vidal, also got jealous. Well, yeah, I guess that's a form of jealousy. Um, Her man, Vidal, got jealous of all the attention that she was getting, which I thought was rich coming from him. And I'll let you know later why. Uh, Anyways, all this noise, all this conservative noise only helped her earn the title of Miss Mexico. Like that all that contributed to her winning the crown. Right, right. She did end up going to Galveston, but unfortunately she didn't she did not win the international beauty crown. But while she was there, she did get a ton of job offers and opportunities. Uh but she declined all of them because she was super in love with Vidal and she just wanted to hurry up and go home because she had promised Vidal that when she came back she would marry him. So they got married on September 24th, 1928. It's unclear if he started beating her before or after they were married. Wow. But they did move into her parents' home after they got married. So like I said before, married life was not pleasant for Landa. Vidal was a very controlling man who limited Landa in her like everyday activities. He insisted Landa be more modest in you know her behavior and and in the way she dressed he didn't want her to read or learn anything anymore like you know like academically yeah yeah um basically wanted her to be a thoughtless yes woman you know too much yeah this was not her way you know so she would read newspapers in secret and this is how she learned about vidal's second life oh well reading the newspaper yeah. <laughs> so Be- that's why he didn't want her to read anymore. Right? Because a month later, like after they got married, the Excelsior published a story that exposed Vidal for bigamy and adultery. This was the final straw for her, for Landa. Apparently, he had already had a wife who was also named Maria Teresa. What? He married her in 1923, and they had two children, and the family lived in Ver- Veracruz. Evidently, Maria Teresa Herejón, which is the other wife, went to the media to expose her husband when she found out that he had married another woman in Mexico City. It's crazy that that's the first thing you would think to do. Like, I know it was a different time, but... Well, I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with... Vidal being a a revolutionary, was it a revolution general? Okay, okay. So he was like almost a celebrity, like. Yeah, I guess so. That and 
I mean, Landa herself was famous because she was oh, Miss Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Hello, the media. Yeah. <laughs> like, so when all this was happen, happening, the Mexican Revolution had ended. And they were still trying to restructure a lot of things. And he was one of, one of, like, one of the moving parts. Yeah. I yeah. guess. So, Landa was naturally distraught. And confronted Vidal. She took his Smith & Wesson pistol from him that he always carried at his hip. Just to give you an idea of how great the guy was. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to. People still do it to this day. Yeah. I am a man. Look at this gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I guess that would... I Like, you know, while I was reading it, I was like, okay, this is not her way. She's like academically intelligent. She's smart she's a strong woman yeah why would she stay with a man like this but if she's deliriously in love with the guy yeah and you know her dad's not talking to her you know and agrees with vidal where she's women should be at the home yeah she's you know? already sacrificed so she hasn't well she has no support system yeah. she has nobody telling her like because her mom's dead and her mom, in, in fairness, would probably end up telling her the same thing that dad and Vidal tell her. But, like, you need to mind your man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? But she had no other people backing her up and saying, hey, you know, so you don't, you need a friend that tells you, hey, man, you, you need to get out of that relationship. Yeah. You know, that's not going to do you any good. But um, anyway, and she was 18. And the guy oh, carried yeah. a fucking gun. A baby, like. Guy carried a fucking gun on his hip and was beating her. So she was probably yeah, scared of exactly, fucking dying, yeah. you know? Anyway, she she took his Smith & Wesson pistol from him and threatened to kill herself. Vidal tried to calm her, but this just angered her, and she shot Vidal twice in the face and four times on his body. Good. She was arrested shortly after and never made a public statement to, like, the media or anybody else, only to um, the judge. Uh, during the trial landa's trial gained a lot of attention because everyone who knew who she was yeah the community kept up with what was going on with the trial as if it was its fucking tv drama <laughs> they listened to it over the radio because you know no tvs yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh landa's defense team led by jose mario lozano he was like this He's like the best of the best if you wanted a fucking lawyer because like he was so good at his job that they called him like the prince of speech or the lord <laughs> of speech or something like that. Yeah, that was yeah. his nickname. He presented her as a victim of abuse and circumstance. He also claimed that Landa was acting out of self-defense. How else was she supposed to react after learning that her husband had a second life. Yeah. You see how this this kind of thinking is a double-edged sword. It's like, yes, you have to, you know, be a yes woman and blah, 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 you know, because you're a woman. But your mere sex indicates what place you you hold in society. Yeah. The other side, the flip side of that coin is because you're a woman and, and at, at mercy of your emotions and your hysterics. Of course, you'd do something crazy like this. Yeah. So that's the double-edged sword. Anyways, that worked in her favor. Landa played up the angle of the morning wife. This lady's smart. She always showed up in court, like, clad in black, all black. 
you know, her face was full of remorse for killing the man that she still loved. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The prosecutor portrayed her as an immoral and shameless killer using her bathing suit photos to supplement this stance. I'll stop you there because I actually have a picture of their bathing suits here. (laughs) Okay, this is like literally it's a one piece like a cocktail dress. It looks like a romper. Yeah, with like shorts on underneath Mm -hmm. and a bathing cap. It, you know, it, it all, if, if you don't know what a romper is, it also looks like, like jean overalls, but short jean overalls. Yeah. But, but made out of a different material. And it does go past the knee. So maybe that's where they're saying, well, she's clearly a murderer who has no morals. Oh, you mean like above the knee? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Above the knee. Uh, when it was Landa's turn to testify her side of the story, everyone in attendance clung to her every word one of the quotes one of the things that she said is quote i wanted to kill myself but i killed him (laughs) (laughs) she also claimed that after she shot him she turned the gun on herself but nothing came out because she emptied the magazine into the doll Mm -hmm. her performance garnered applause and many were moved she was acquitted of her crime. What? No way. And walked away a free woman. Well done. <laughs> so you may be asking, may you may be asking where is she now? Well, she passed away in 92. I was going to say if she's still alive I'd be running. <laughs> Landa never remarried. She removed herself from the limelight and became a high school history teacher in Mexico City at a school called Prepa 1. This is an excerpt from a book called Jurado Seduced, The Passions Before Justice by Dr. Luis de la Barreda Solorzano, who seems to have been one of her students. Okay. The way it reads. Anyways, quote, she was a splendid storyteller who, by exposing dramatic episodes starring important historical figures with profound intensity, took us back to times and places and made us stand there as excited and astonished witnesses. The students admired the teacher, but we did not know anything about the story that almost 40 years ago, she had been the protagonist. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a nice story. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Good on you, love. Maria Teresa? Yeah. Well, Maria Teresa... You've got another fan. I was actually thinking, like, if I was present during that court case, I would love to shout, like, go on, you good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Which is well done. Yeah. So, like, uh, her, she she was described, like, the way she taught, like, she was passionate about history. Yeah. Particularly um, history stories where the women were strong figures and you know like of course yeah like uh she liked to talk about Anne Boleyn and Joan of Arc and stuff like that right mm-hmm. right on and that's the kind of history teacher I like I never had one like that but oh I did sounds like sounds like a good time mm-hmm. you know what time it is tool time listen to story time you never seen home improvement nope oh 
<laughs> but I do know of it. It's the show inside the show. Yeah. Tool yeah. time. So this one comes from our friend Gemma from Insanely Criminal Podcast. You should all go check it out. It's a an endearing mother-daughter uh, hosted situation podcast. Yeah, I was listening to them earlier on trying to catch up. And uh, yeah, it's just really nice. They have like a nice chemistry because they're fucking mom and daughter. So yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Anyway, Gemma says, hey, guys. So my current house being haunted is not the only time I have been haunted. The first time I saw a ghost was when I was 14. My mother and stepdad had just bought an old pub here in Wales. They still have it and it's dated back to the 1700s, possibly earlier. My brother and I were there not long after they moved there and we saw a tall man standing by the door. Naturally, this terrified us. After that, I did not see anything until around seven years later. I was pregnant with my daughter, now my co-host, when I went downstairs in my house to grab a drink. My house, which is across the road from the pub. And I saw a man standing on my stairs with a little girl who was dressed in a white dress and had ribbons in her hair. I locked myself in the bathroom for over an hour because it was, well, super creepy. That was the last time I saw them in my house. But cut to four years later, and my daughter tells me she has a new friend. I assumed the friend was from preschool until she said she plays in my room. She has a white dress and pretty ribbons in her hair. Yeah. <laughs> it was the ghost I had seen years before. She doesn't remember anything about it now. I'd say thank God for her. Mm -hmm. But she would randomly say, she's here with us now. She's standing next to you. I was glad when we moved two years later. Back to the pub though. I used to work there sometimes in my early 20s. I had forgotten all about the ghost that I had seen there years earlier. One day I was walking down the hall to go into the beer cellar and something threw me against the wall and I couldn't move for what felt like ages. My whole body went cold and I had a piercing pain in my ear for hours after. It felt like a person was holding me against the wall and when I managed to move all I saw was a black cloud slash mist disappear. Needless to say, I ran away. I would keep seeing this black mist around the place at times and thought that I was losing my mind. My mum and stepdad even brought in some kind of medium who said there was an evil presence in there, right where I had been thrown against the wall. When I was working, I have also witnessed books being thrown from the shelves. Customers have seen it too. It's a really spooky place, and you just learned to live with it somehow. The creepiest thing that happened to me there was when I was staying there when my folks were on vacation. It's a two-story building and has a really cold feel to the place because it's so old. I locked up one night and went upstairs to count the takings and head to bed around 2am. I always felt uneasy staying there, mainly in case somebody broke in. On this night, I was just about to fall asleep and I heard heavy footsteps coming up the wooden stairs. I jumped out of bed and grabbed something heavy in case someone was about to murder me. I had left the hall lights on and saw two feet appear under the crack of the door. By this time, I was in fight or flight mode and heard three knocks on the bedroom door. I decided it was now or never and opened the door. 
just to see the black mist disappear. This is probably the worst thing that has happened to me there and I have refused to stay there ever again. The house I currently live in is also haunted as hell, but it doesn't bother me really anymore. We have a man here, a woman I'm assuming is his wife. She has a really grumpy face and is mainly in the room we podcast in, standing in the corner. We also have a young girl ghost. She creeps me out somewhat. I remember posting about the ghosts on Facebook because one day I heard a little girl say, Bye bye. Then my friend messaged me saying saying her husband grew up in the house and he remembered the little girl. She sits on the floor in my daughter's room, looking like she's playing with something. He had told me that she was a miscarried baby and was stuck in the house wanting to play with other children. He said he knew this because he used to play with her when he was a kid. He even described her perfectly. Whoa. She says, sorry it's such a long email. There have been many other times I have seen ghosts, in hotels especially, but these are the most memorable. Keep up the good work with the podcast. Gem. Wow. I want to hear the rest of the, like her, uh, I want to hear her hotel ghost stories. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So, obviously, Jen's is, or Gems is sensitive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, and don't worry about the length of the email. The longer, the better. Yeah. Because, I mean, worst case scenario, like, well, not really worst case scenario, but I'd rather a long email than a short one. You know, like, we just hurry up and get it over with and we just have nothing else to talk about and we just stare at each other and do nothing. (laughs) How boring. (laughs) (laughs) No, we do love all our emails, long and short. Um, this one just had so much girth to it like the short emails that like pack a punch yeah absolutely we love them I love a thick email yeah Um, (laughs) but this one just had so much punch to it so much girth yeah so don't ever be afraid of like thinking that the story's too long like what's the worst that's gonna happen I'm gonna have an extra five minutes to read it yeah and again their podcast is insanely criminal podcast they're super cool their very first episode is about uh the Central Park Five, very interesting. Oh, is those are those kids that yeah got charged with murdering that white woman? Yep. Or was it murder or rape? I or, can't remember. Oh yeah, no, yeah, I don't think it was. Rape. I can't. Either way, they cover it all, all kinds of true crime. So yeah, thanks again to Jem and Ali from Insanely Criminal Podcast. Make sure you guys go and check them out. Thank you. And that's another week of weekly creep. Yeah, because. We do it every week, as the name implies. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be episode like 16 or something. What? The, our episode? Right now. This? Yeah. Right now? In real time? Yeah. This episode that we just recorded is going to be episode 16. This one right now? The one yeah. I'm talking on? This one. This right one? now that you're listening to. <laughs> so that means that we've been doing this for four. It's been four months? No, it's only been three months. No, it hasn't. It's November, August, September, October, November, four months. It is four months. Yeah, four months. That's what I said. That's what I'm saying. You said it was three months. No, I didn't. I just counted on my fingers. Four <laughs> months. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, you didn't hear was us arguing about math. <laughs> yeah, math and how many months are in a year. <laughs> or how many weeks are in a month. Or, yeah. Anyways, we're tired. Yeah. 
Okay, so Jem sent us in this lovely email for this week. Mm-hmm. I want you to send us in our email for next week. You. You who are listening to this right now in your ears. You with, with the with the headphones slash earbuds on. Or car speakers. You with, with the car. You You the person with the two arms. Maybe one. It's okay. That's fine. We love all of our listeners. No matter how many limbs or digits they have. Follow us on all the shit. Uh, Instagram, Twitter. I'm getting much better at Twitter. Facebook, I have fallen off again. It's fucking awful. If you if you're on Twitter, you're probably talking to Adam because I don't know how to do Twitter. Uh, I'm not talking to that many people either. I just like loads of strangers, but I'm twitting at them. Twit, tweeting, twitting. I'm twitting. <laughs> I'm twitting and twitting. But yep, there you go. So that's it. Uh, follow us everywhere at Weekly Creep. If you're going to send us in your stories, we prefer you to email them just because it looks nice and organized. Send that to weeklycreep at gmail.com. And remember, it doesn't matter how long or how short it is. We're going to read it and we're going to enjoy the fuck out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.